going to dismiss our children for Children's Church. Your leaders will meet you out in the foyer. And by the way, uh, thanks to Shanley and Jason and everybody who worked for our fall festival. We had a great time the other night. And thanks for all of you who participated. And let's pray. A lot of tracks got handed out that night. The other thing, too, we still have some people without power in their homes in our church. We need to pray that that would be restored and pray for those people who are doing that utility work. That's got to be hard work. And then um, I got a text just a little while ago. Patty Seitz has taken her daughter Amanda to the ER. We need to pray for her this morning. And um, let's see, there was something else. I'll think of it later on. But uh, we need to pray. And uh, so we, we want to uh, go to the Lord in prayer. And by the way, if you notice over here by Brother Steve that this particular section is much more beautiful than it was, uh, that's because his fiance Nancy is here and she is going to be joining the church this morning, Chad. So uh, we're grateful for that and welcome. Welcome. Okay. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes now. Lord, as we think about everything that is going on in the world, and we think about everybody has an opinion about what's going on. And sometimes our opinions agree, sometimes they disagree. And then there are people who think up things that we never would have thought of. And yet to think that over all of this, what looks like cacophony, confusion, and chaos, we do see the work of the enemy. We do see the powers of darkness. We do see lies. We see deception. And we see hostility toward the things of God. And we see a breaking of the law of God. We see all kinds of things like that. And if we were to simply look at those things, well, what would we do? Where would we turn? How would we feel? But when we understand what we prayed earlier and confessed earlier, that Jesus is Lord, all of a sudden we realize that all of the works that we see going on that seem to be so against everything you are for, we understand you are in control. You reign. And you are not agitated. You are not confused. You are not scrambling to try to figure out what to do. But you look at all of this and you laugh at all of the people who think they have power, who think that they control things. You laugh at those who conspire against you because this is all going according to your plan somehow. And as believers, help us to rest in that. And as we think about Tuesday, maybe we feel anxiety. Maybe we feel some anger. Maybe we look at other people with hostility and all of that, things that we shouldn't feel. I pray, Lord, that what we would feel is, first of all, a gratefulness for the stewardship we have as free citizens of this great country. Thank you for that. And secondly, I pray that we would feel the stewardship to represent you in the ballot box. That as we vote, we're not voting our opinion we are voting what we believe represents the kingdom of God, righteousness, holiness. And we know that in a fallen world, that only goes so far. 
because there is no perfect candidate, but there are principles that we should stand for as children of God. I pray we'd be bold, and I pray that we would come forth across this land in great numbers. I heard just the other day that 54 million evangelical Christians didn't bother to vote in 2016. Oh, dear Lord, may we understand that we have influence and we have a stewardship. And if we would just stand up and be counted, our uh, influence would be much greater than we would realize. I pray that the people of God would vote and vote properly in this election, not just for the president, but for every office that is open. Oh, dear Lord, have mercy on the United States of America. Give us grace. We don't deserve your blessing, and we confess that we have blasphemed your name and gone against your law, and we deserve to be destroyed. But, oh, Father, have grace upon us this Tuesday. Show your power and your strength. Help our people who are sick. Help our people that don't have power to have that restored. They need that. Help us, Father, to be witnesses for Christ. And thank you, Lord, for all of the people that came to our fall festival off of the streets and from the neighborhoods and the communities around us. Thank you for every track that was handed out. Thank you for every interaction that was made. Oh, Father, our prayer is that it would bear fruit for your glory. And thank you for this day that we come to worship you, and may we worship you in spirit and in truth. So now, Lord, take a hold of our hearts and make them tender. Take a hold of our minds so that they don't wander and we don't think about inconsequential things. Take our ears and unstop them so that we would not be dull of hearing. And call us to attention as we open up the Word of God. And Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts through your Word. And may we be obedient believers leaving here in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And if you agree, would you say amen? Okay, we want you to turn now to the book of Exodus. And we are back in chapter 15. And uh, we are going to look today at something that seems different. Most of the time, what we sing about and what we talk about is being stressed out and then going to victory. But we're going to see that the people of God in this story went the opposite way. And sometimes that happens. They're going from victory to stress. And I kind of want to know why. I want to know what's going on here because... Through that, God has something to say to me and to say to all of us. The Bible says that these things were written for our admonition. In other words, we are to learn and we are to be warned by what the people, particularly in the wilderness, did. And we're in the wilderness with them now. They've gone through the Red Sea. What a miraculous thing that was. They've had a tremendous and powerful worship service on the other side. Now they are heading into the sand. Into When you see wilderness in the Bible, it generally is talking about desert. They're in the sand. They're in the heat. They're in the, the arid, in the dry conditions there. And there's a lot of these people. And uh, they are heading 
read it out. So let's read it. And we're going to go to verse 22. Exodus chapter 15. And we're going to look at verse 22 through 27. And as we look at this, think about what the Lord might be saying in your life and in your situation. Because we live in a world that is a very stressful world. I think it's very interesting that we might uh, call the world we live in uh, a world of anxiety, a world of uh, tension, a world of pressure, we might say. And yet the truth of the matter is, as I think about pressure and tension, I think about our lives as being really much easier than at any other time in human history. We are the generation and the people that, uh, for the most part, I'm sure there are exceptions, but for the most part, we don't worry about if we're going to eat. We stress out over what we're going to eat. Have you ever got your family together and say, okay, let's go somewhere. Where do you want to go? And it's hard to decide sometimes where to go. Either everybody has a different place they want to go, or there's a place somebody doesn't like, or everybody goes, oh, it doesn't matter. Anything is fine. And that brings stress and tension on our lives. So we're most blessed and most unique because our ancestors, up until recent times, they were stressed about, about if they were going to eat. We're stressed out about what we're going to eat. Isn't that strange for us? We live in times now where life is easy with automobiles and the way uh, we can travel from coast to coast or even intercontinentally in hours and uh, we think about the safety that we have we have alarms on our houses and uh, we have competent uh, law enforcement uh, you know that takes care of things and uh, a lot of stuff just easy all of the labor-saving devices that we have, so much easier, and yet we are one of the most anxious generations ever to live. And so we've got to learn how to handle it, and we've got to also look and see, does God have a purpose in allowing us to experience these times of pressure and these times of stress? Well, let's see what we learn in verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness, the desert of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Okay, I'm stopping there going, well, duh. It's the desert. You don't typically find water in the desert. But it's also telling me that by three days... They must be to the point to where they really need the water. Now, if you're walking through the desert and you're seeing oasis after oasis after oasis and your canteen is full, then so what? It's when your canteen gets empty. It's when you're thirsty. It's when you're getting worried. It's when you're starting to, and let's uh, use this word, you're starting to panic about the water. Well, they've kind of been here before, haven't they? Except... The other time they panicked about water, there was too much. Now there's not enough. Okay, let's pick up again in verse 23. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah. There's water there. For they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called 
Mara. Okay, now, remember our study in the book of Ruth? That word Mara ought to get your attention. When Ruth and Naomi leave Moab and they get back to Bethlehem, the women come out and they say, oh, is this Naomi? And Naomi means pleasant or sweet. And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi anymore, but call me Mara. Same word. For the Lord, the Almighty, has dealt with me bitterly and testified against me. Same word. Same word. So the Bible says when they came to uh, th- this place, Mara, uh, it wasn't named that when they got there. They named it that, verse 24. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord. It's probably what the people should have done. And the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the water, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. This is the point of this whole story. There he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah or Yahweh Rapha. Verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Now when we find the children of Israel going through the wilderness, there's Two things that always come out in the times of the wilderness. And sometimes we mistakenly call them wilderness wanderings, but they weren't wandering in the wilderness. They were led through the wilderness. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And so God was leading them during that time to strategic and specific places where he would be teaching them, revealing things to them. In fact, in this one, this is called a test. This is where they are being put under stress. You uh, might think about somebody that's uh, engineered a piece of metal for a particular thing like a tank or an an airplane or something to be used in war. And they will take that metal and they will test it and they will stress it to see what its breaking point, to see where its weaknesses are. And this is uh, what is happening here. The people of God are being tested. They're being put under stress in order to see what they are like. Now, God knows what they are like. This is not so God can see. This is so the people can see because we always think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We always think, I know that. I can handle that. I've been taught that. I've been through this before. But there's always that breaking point. There's always that point of weakness. And this is what is happening here. And in the wilderness, the people are seeing their sin and God's faithfulness every time. Something happens, there's a problem that comes up, and they panic, they are unfaithful, they forget about what God has done for them, they complain and they grumble, they even, for crying out loud, want to go back to Egypt. What in the world is entering their minds? Oh, we had it so good in Egypt. Then why did you ever leave? And why did you cry out to God? They forget, don't they? But every time, God does something for them to meet their need to see them through. Every time, their sin and God's faithfulness is um, shown 
when they are in the wilderness. In fact, it says in here that they were tested. And the definition when it says tested is to subject to difficulty in order to prove the quality of someone or something. To subject to difficulty. You think God tests you every day, all the time. And God will teach you something, maybe even here this morning, and then he'll put you to the test, maybe even this afternoon, to see whether you really paid attention to whether you really learned it. And so many times when you look in the Bible, when you hear teaching or when you're reading it in your quiet time, and you look and you say, well, I don't really need that, that doesn't apply to me, just hold on, it will. And it may sooner than you think, and then you're going to cry out to God, why haven't you prepared me for this? And he'll say, I did. You weren't listening. You weren't paying attention. That's why we need to be careful that we don't become dull of hearing. To subject to difficulty in order to prove the quality of someone or something. So this stress that they're put under, and this is the stress of my kids are thirsty. My livestock don't have enough to drink. They can't take another step. I'm about to collapse. What are we going to do? There's nothing inside here. We don't see any resources. We don't see any way to get out of this. And it's much like they were at the Red Sea again. It's interesting, as I mentioned earlier, at the Red Sea, they had too much water. Now they don't have enough water, right? Chad and Michelle are still without power. And uh, see, I'm thinking uh, back on Chad, back in July, he said to Michelle something like this, oh, we're using too much electricity. Our bill is going to be way too high. And so God says now in October, okay, I'll give you a break in your electric bill. Now they don't have enough electricity. Okay, I'm picking on him, of course. He didn't really say that, I don't think. But um, this is the kind of thing to where this is... What happens? It's human nature to do that. It's either feast or famine. It's either too much or not enough. We're never really happy and we're never really content on any of this. And so now that they can't find the water when they are out in the desert, what in the world is the Lord teaching them? Okay, number one, stress, which we all face in various ways, stress reveals the strength of your faith. How strong is your faith? Not nearly not nearly strong enough. Can it be stronger? Yeah. Faith is not just this finite thing that is put inside of us. And some people have a lot and some people have a little. No, your faith can grow and your faith should grow with every experience that you have with the Lord. And if you are not going to grow in your faith, uh, well, then you're going to face more and more of these things. They're going to defeat you. They're going to stress you out even more. And the Lord is going to keep putting you into those situations until you start getting stronger. Faith is something that is exercised. Uh, faith is something like going to the gym. You start off and you can barely bench press five pounds. But then before long, you're up to ten and you're feeling like Popeye or something like that. And then pretty soon you're up to a hundred. And then later on, uh, you know, you can bench press maybe two hundred pounds and you're feeling really strong. And how did you get there? You didn't get there overnight. You didn't get there automatically. Step by step through consistency and through increasing that. It was harder to lift when you increased the weight on the, uh, the uh, when you increase the weight that you were bench pressing and but you've got to do it it's when you go out and run you're like a guy that uh, he went and decided he wanted to run he bought his shoes he bought the jogging outfit and all of that and uh, he went outside he started running and he made it to the mailbox and just barely walked back but 
Before long, he was going to the mailbox and then 10 more feet. And then he was going down the block. And then he was going around the block. And before long, he was running in half marathons. And he was an older man when he did that. But it's step by step. And it's over time. It's discipline. Discipline. Exercise yourself to godliness, Paul said. And we don't understand the discipline about it. If you get uh, uh, tomorrow morning and you open up your Bible and, and, boy, you can read for about five minutes, do it. Do it and take the five minutes. But understand that don't just settle for that, but over time increase it. Do 10 minutes later on. Do 15. Do 30. Do that with your prayer life. Start where you are and start with what you're capable of. Take some baby steps, but take some steps. Because the stresses of life show you, they reveal to you, the uh, strength of your faith. How strong are you? So Moses bought them, brought them from the Red Sea. Now that ought to clue us in. That was a time of great victory. That was a time of power. That was a time of a miracle. That was a time of deliverance. That was a time of celebration. That was a time when they said, there's no God like our God. Well, what happened to that? It didn't take long and it didn't take much. And the faith that they had when they crossed the Red Sea... For some reason, it didn't seem to be here now. They began to complain and they began to um, go against Moses on all of that. It just didn't take very long. And it just revealed to them that their faith was not as strong as they confessed it at the Red Sea. You see, at the Red Sea, every one of them said, I'll never doubt God. I will never, ever doubt anything that he can do. I know this God. I've experienced this miracle, right? But it didn't take long, and all it took was there's not enough water. We don't know where we're going to find it, and the water that we do find, well, it's substandard. It's bitter water, and so uh, what are we going to do with it? And so they call it a place of bitterness. What are you calling the place where you are right now? Is the place where you are right now a place of miracles, a place of power, a place of grace, a place of victory, a place of growth, a place of strength, a place of maturity? Or are you naming it bitter? I'm just stuck. There's nothing that I can do here and there's no way out. God has exhausted all of his power back at the Red Sea. I doubt he has anything for us now. How is this going to work? There's not even any water to really part here. And the water that uh, is here is not any good. Stress reveals the quality or the strength of your faith. That's why you're going through it. Number two, stress reveals... The object of your faith. You know, you can have all the faith in the world, but put it in the wrong thing. Something that is unworthy. Something that can't carry out what you were expecting it to do. Well, then it's no good. You can sit in that chair and believe with all of your heart that it is going to take you to Hong Kong. And I got bad news for you. It's not going to do that. But you can go to an airliner and you can walk on the tarmac and you can walk up the steps and get inside of that big tube that's going to fly through the sky sit in the seat, strap yourself in, eat some peanuts if they, well they don't feed you peanuts anymore and uh, drink a coke and fly to Hong Kong and even watch a couple of movies while you do it and sleep while you're doing it. Why? Because you're putting your faith in something that is worthy of your faith. If a ship is going to anchor and it needs the anchor to go deep and the anchor to catch upon a rock formation 
formation down there, then uh, it's not going to anchor the ship if all it goes down into is mud or sand or something like that. It's got to be anchored in the rock. It's got to be anchored in an object that is worthy of faith. So in your life, may I ask you the question, is your life anchored? Is your faith in something that matters? And I'm just going to tell you, there is no president that is worthy of your faith. There is no economic situation in the stock market that is worthy of your faith. There is no retirement plan that is worthy of your faith. And I'm not saying those things are unimportant or that they don't matter in our life. I'm just simply saying if you put it in the stock market, then that means every day your mood is going to reflect either the ups or the downs. And boy, there can be some significant downs, right? It can be reflected in the results of an election or the policies of a person that uh, is put into office. And sometimes the people that you wanted to be in office can be the biggest disappointment to you. Why? They're not worthy of our faith like that. They're fallible, sinful humans just like we are. And at the same time, if the wrong person goes into office, does that mean that your faith is destroyed? No, because your anchor goes up into the heavens and you're anchored into the sovereignty of God and the grace and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to think bigger than what is just around us. We've got to think bigger than the circumstances that we face. And I'll be the first to admit... I don't practice what I preach on all of that. But nonetheless, whether I do it or not, whether you do it or not, it's still true and it's still a worthy goal. Are we placing our faith in what really matters? And so the Lord puts us through some things to reveal that because I don't always know that I'm not trusting God. Sometimes I think I'm trusting God. I believe with all of my heart that I'm trusting God. And God puts me in some situations where he takes some things away or he adds some things into life. It can be either one. Either one. And what does he do when he, he is doing that? Sometimes, sometimes he brings those things in my life to affirm that I'm standing right and that I am trusting in the Lord. Sometimes it's a positive. And sometimes it reveals to me that I've fallen short of the glory of God, which is the definition of sin, and that I need to get it right. Either way, it is a loving thing that God does when he puts you through that. It's not just that he is mad at you. It's not just that he wants you to fail. It's not just that you've done something wrong and you're going to get the consequences. There are positives out of that. It's a good thing to know if you are indeed trusting in the Lord and the promises of his word. It's a good thing to know if you're not so that you can make corrections on that. Well, the people here, obviously, something is drastically wrong. They're going to go to Canaan. They're going to conquer that land. They're going to walk in the power of the Lord. They're going to see the walls of Jericho fall. Well, not this bunch, and especially not this time. They've got some things to learn. Bitter water has tripped them up after the victory of the Red Sea. They've got to grow, and they've got to learn, and they've got to correct those things. The people complained against Moses. What does that tell you? They were trusting in Moses. They thought Moses was the key. 
And Moses is far, far short of the key to all of this. The key is trusting in the Lord. Now, the Lord does have a way out. The Lord, when Moses cries to the Lord, the Lord shows him a tree. And it's interesting how many times in the Bible when God wants to do something, he uses a tree. It was a tree that was the test in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? It was a tree on which the Lord Jesus died to pay for our sins. And in the book of Revelation, it's going to end with a tree. There's a tree of life there, and its leaves will be for the healing of the nations. God seems to use trees as a symbol for deliverance, as a symbol for power, and as a symbol uh, for a test. And so there they are being tested. And the Lord said, why didn't you just come to me? I had the answer all along. I didn't have to come up with it. And it wasn't my intention simply to make you suffer. I wanted you to teach. I wanted to teach you something. And as I teach you, I want you to grow. And I want you to remember this. And I want, and this is a good word for us, I want what I teach you today to be applied to your tomorrow. And we're the world's worst. Sometimes we take what the Lord teaches us today and we don't carry it over into tomorrow. When our children were little, we homeschooled them. And one of the things that uh, they kind of had some trouble with is they would learn something in English and then they never understood that what they learned in English should carry over to that essay that they would write in history. But they would violate the rules. And it's like, no, what you learned over here in English, carry it over when you write the paper so that it'll be done right and punctuated properly, that type of thing. Well, as Christians, haven't you found that what you learn in your quiet time, you don't really apply to something that happens at lunchtime? And sometimes what you learn in Sunday school, you don't apply to next Tuesday or next Wednesday. We tend to look at everything in chunks and we tend to compartmentalize it. And God is saying, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go on and I want you to carry it through because it is intensely important. Number three, stress reveals, stress, pressure, difficulties, reveals the intensity of faith. And it says that he made a statue and an ordinance with them and he tested them. And here's what he tells them. If you diligently Heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. Well, then the benefit is I will put none of the diseases on which I put on the Egyptians. Now, what did he mean by the diseases of the Egyptians? Well, he could have said, be saying to them, I'm not going to put the plagues upon you. You're not going to have to worry about that. That was for the Egyptians. That's not from you. So don't act like an Egyptian. Don't be like the Egyptians and you won't have that. That could be. But it also could be that in the law of God, God was going to give Israel some things. For example, he told them that when they had uh, to go to the bathroom, go outside, dig a hole and bury it. In Egypt, sewage ran through the streets. You think that could cause disease? Of course it could. And God said, if you'll do my law, I'll give you a better life. I'll give you a better way. I will keep those things from coming upon you. You want to be really grossed out by Egypt? Egypt worshiped cats. Well, now there's a problem, right? And you know what they would do? They would take cat manure and put it on their sores. Because they thought it had supernatural properties. God said, 
If you'll follow my laws, and he taught them how to be clean, how to deal with disease, how to deal with infections, and how to deal with even things like sewage. Israel was the first ancient culture not to have their sewage running in the streets. Can you imagine? God said, you do things my way, I'll protect you from those things that go on. And you know, it's the same today. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world that they're having to deal with that if you would just follow Christ and follow his word and his morality, you can save yourself an awful lot of trouble. And so we think about the Lord and we think about the stress that he puts us under. What is he teaching us? He's teaching us that our faith should not be casual and it should not be occasional. It should be something that rules our life. It rules our thinking. It rules our motivation. It's not just in church. It's at home. It's in the workplace. It's at school. It's when we're dating. It's in our marriage. It's in our parenting. It's in our financial uh, 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 stewardship. All of those kind of things. I mean, it's everything. We are to be intense about our faith. And a lot of people fall into trouble because the only time they get serious about their faith is when trouble comes their way and that's not what they're supposed to do intensity stress reveals whether you really mean it or not whether it really matters or not and then the fourth thing stress reveals the rewards of faith you see it's when you've really suffered it's when you've really been put through the ringer. It's when you've really wondered about things. It's when you really needed that miracle. It's when you really depended upon God that when things go well, you really appreciate it. My mom, one time, she had been sick for a while, and uh, then she's got to feeling better. And I remember her saying this. Some of you have experienced it. You know exactly what she means. You don't really know what it's like to feel good until you felt really, really bad. Isn't that right? See, if you've just you know, never been sick, no big deal. Well, then breathing is normal to you. Your circulatory system, normal to you. Energy is normal to you. But have you ever been bedridden? You ever been uh, on chemotherapy where you, could you couldn't eat and uh, you could barely get up out of a chair? And now all of a sudden you've got an appetite, you've got energy, and you've got strength to do things. Don't you appreciate it more when you've been through those things? And now you find the children of Israel, they've left the Red Sea, they've been in the desert, they didn't know what they were going to drink because the first thing they had was no water, and then the water they had was bitter, then they were able to drink that water, and then they move on and the Lord tells them, I want your faith and your commitment to be to be an intense thing, always on. And then they come to a place where there are all of these palm trees and all of these wells of water and they can camp there and they can go, oh, this feels good. And there are some things God wants to bring into your life that you want and that you desire, but it's not time for it yet because he's taking you through this process. But when he gets finished with you, you are going to rest at Elam and you're going to say, oh, God is so good. A well is not necessarily miraculous like the Red Sea or like throwing a tree in water and the water becomes palatable. But the well is that place where the water is cool, 
the water is plentiful, the water is sweet, and all of those palms are shading everything from the hot desert sun. And by the time Israel got there, they really appreciated it. What is it that God is bringing you through to make you grateful, to make you thankful? What is it that God is bringing you through? And I do know this. Our life has enough difficulty in it that on that day when you breathe your last and you're escorted into heaven, it's going to be like going to Elam and you're going to go, oh, this is wonderful. Why do you think heaven is so wonderful? Well, first of all, because Jesus is there. That's what really makes it heaven. Anything without Jesus won't be heaven. Jesus will be the most important one there. And then secondly, in your life, you'll compare it. Your best day on earth, your best day on earth, won't even begin to compare with your, if we could call it this, your quote-unquote worst day in heaven. Why? Because you're going to be able to compare it and you're going to be able to see it relationships that you have on earth that you go, oh, this is so wonderful. I hope we have this in heaven. You know what you're going to find? Relationships in heaven are going to be so different and so much better and so much sweeter. Why? Because you're going to compare them with what you had here. And eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. It just gets better, you see? Because what God is doing is putting you through some things to teach you and so that you can learn and so that you can make progress and so that you can really enjoy the sweet times of Elam when he brings them into your life. Hey, Brother Chad, when that electricity comes on, you're going to appreciate it a little more than you did back in July. Right? This is the way it goes. And God is teaching us just like he is teaching them. And the stresses that you go through in life, let me tell you, they have a purpose. Don't miss it. Don't fail the test. And for heaven's sake, don't go through it any more than you absolutely have to. Get it. Pass it. And move on. I'll close with this. A friend of mine used to say, we're all going to make mistakes. Somebody say amen to that. You know what the goal is? Quit making the same old ones. Make some new ones. So my last thing that I would say is, learn your lessons, move ahead, quit making the same old mistakes, and let's go out this way week and make a whole pile of new ones because God has more that he wants to teach you as a child of God. This is about Jesus. This is about his grace. This is about his prayer in John 17 being answered in our lives. This is about bringing many more people into the kingdom of God by telling them a Savior came, died on the cross, paid for their sins. He's the only way to get right with God. And our prayer is that if you haven't trusted him, you will trust him today as the Spirit draws you and you'll become a part of the family of God. God, can anyone say amen to that? It's wonderful to be in the family of God. And as you do that, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just make some new ones and get corrected for the glory of God. 
because he has a purpose in all of that. Amen and amen. And may the Lord bless you as you leave and as you go through this week. Take the lessons with you everywhere you go. God bless you.